Welcome to Discovery with Babbitt Ranches. Discovery is all things cowboy essence, people at their best, accomplishing extraordinary achievements. Cowboy essence is defined by the character qualities we admire in others, inspired by the cowboy culture, the code that guides Babbitt Ranches. Hi, I'm Billy Cordasco. Golden eagles have long been an important species to Native Americans and to other cultures. They became federally protected by the U.S. government in the 1960s when the bald eagle was designated as an endangered species. That happened after it was discovered that the pesticide DDT was weakening the shells of bald eagle eggs. Since then, biologists have strived to learn more about the golden eagle. But these raptors are difficult to study. They fly hundreds of feet in the air, making them difficult to see, and they have enormous territories. What we've learned about golden eagles through Babbitt Ranch's conservation and research efforts in the past 10 years has added volumes to our collective body of knowledge, helping ecologists and biologists everywhere better understand the behaviors and health of these majestic birds. That's avian ecologist Tom Kornkevich. He has been studying golden eagles across Babbitt's 750,000 acres for 10 years. We'll hear more from Tom in a moment, but first, Discovery with Babbitt Ranches is sponsored by SWCA, a nationwide environmental consulting firm based in Flagstaff, Arizona. SWCA works to preserve natural and cultural resources for tomorrow while enabling projects that benefit people today. They are extraordinary folks, very skilled, very knowledgeable, with a tremendous amount of experience that can help anybody with any need they have or any issues or any kind of concerns that you have with the natural environment. So if you get a chance to stop by and see those folks, I promise you, you will enjoy every one of them. Lots of thanks on behalf of Babbitt Ranches to SWCA. Getting back to our topic, Golden Eagles. Joining me in the Discovery Studio is my guest, Tom Kornkevich. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Billy. I always enjoy talking about Golden Eagles with you. And just kind of on the side, it's very rare to find a company like Babbitt Ranches that is willing to invest in the time effort and funding it takes to conduct an extensive Golden Eagle research and long-term monitoring program. And importantly, the results of these studies are all applicable across greater landscapes across the Western United States. And that, that's very rare on an ecological study. Hey, Tom, before we get started, give us a little background. Where'd you go to college or what, what got your passion about eagles started? Well, I've been studying birds for about 25 years. I went to college back east in Connecticut at Southern Connecticut State University, and I was lucky enough to have my advisor, Dr. Noble S. Proctor, a world-renowned avian ecologist. In fact, he put together the range maps and the Peterson field guides to birds, and I've been studying birds ever since. I then came to Flagstaff, Arizona about 20 years ago, went to graduate school at Northern Arizona University, and I've never left. So then in Arizona, what was the first bird that got involved with? What brought me out to Arizona was the endangered southwestern willow flycatcher. Brought me out here in 1996, and from that point forward, I just I got hooked on that little bird. My project, again, was, was here at NAU. Did my graduate studies here with a great bunch of people. In fact, several of those people have worked for years on, on Babbitt Ranches as well. You got a great story about looking for little flycatcher anywhere? It's, it's an interesting little bird. It uh, only breeds here in the desert southwest. For about three, four months out of the year, and the rest of the year it lives throughout portions of Central and South America, and that's where I did did my work, my research down there. South America, 
Uh, Central America, oh, Costa, Central. Costa Rica mostly. Okay. Right. Yeah, neat little bird. Yeah. So then, then all of a sudden, the golden eagle came into your life. Well, it certainly did. It yeah. certainly did. In about 2008, 2009, renewable energy development really came in pretty strong here in northern Arizona. In around 2010, found myself tromping around the Babbitt Ranches, trying to develop some renewable energy. And throughout that work there, we discovered Babbitt Ranches had a bunch of great habitat out there that supports a good number of golden eagles. I think of you as kind of a, an ecologist who is all in, Tom. Not much goes past your plate on a daily basis. That's true, Billy. It's not all birds. I mean, if you study a, an animal like the golden eagle, it starts from the ground up. And I mean, it gets you out camping and gets you out in the field. And I mean, you're right out there in the middle of the territories. And Oh, it's great. It's great. I mean, to, to, to be out there under a, a golden eagle nest and figuring out what those birds are doing, it's it's the best job a, a person can have. Well, when you're on a project, okay, so you're out camping, tracking the raptors day and night, I guess, right, would be 24 hours a day, hauling huge elk carcasses for eagle food. These are elk that have been fortunately killed along the highways by cars or trucks. And then you're positioning wildlife cameras and sorting through tens of thousands of pictures after you get these cameras back. Give us an overview of this northern Arizona golden eagle population. The golden eagle population in northern Arizona is unique in that these eagles inhabit uh, a more arid landscape than, for example, as compared to Montana or Southern California. In general, the territories are, are larger, their home ranges are larger, their food base is different, and what makes them really unique compared to the northern populations is, are the golden eagles here in northern Arizona. They're resident year-round. So those golden eagles that live on Babbitt ranches, they're full-time residents. Their territories do get larger when they're not breeding, but when they're breeding, they, they stick tight to those uh, rocky outcrops and headwalls and canyons, and they'll protect them at all costs from other eagles. And then, of course, during other times of the year, there are the migratory, what you call floaters, that seem to come through the area. That was something we saw as the results of a big field effort across the ranches where, as you mentioned before, we collect elk and deer carcasses along roadways. We set those carcasses out across the ranches and we deploy game cameras, and they're kind of the crystal ball into these other populations of eagles, these sub-adults, these floaters that don't have established territories. They're invisible. They're really hard to see. So to get them down out of airspace, get them on the carcasses, and put those cameras on those birds, it's truly a great experience. How about those pictures that you've received? I mean, thousands of pictures. Any particular picture that you've received that, oh, this is really cool? We have several, that's for sure. Right now, we're archiving and sorting through just under 70,000 photographs of golden eagles. I would say probably one of the most exciting photographs was out on the CO Bar Ranch on Black Point. It was just before the sun came up. We had a camera on a carcass, and we watched a, a pair of golden eagles, the pair that, that lives there, land on that carcass, kind of rub bills and rub necks, and you could tell they were pretty fond of each other, and they got to do what uh, they usually do during the breeding season right there on, on camera. So exciting, <laughs> to say the least. You showed me some other photos that were rather interesting. One in particular was where a golden eagle was feeding on a carcass, for example, the left side of the carcass, and on the right side was a coyote eating at the same time. Common? That is quite common. When we deploy these carcasses out there, there's a lot of critters on the landscape that make a pretty good living uh, just searching out and feeding on these carcasses. And one of the animals that do that are coyotes. And we go to some pretty great lengths to try to keep those coyotes off of there. 
But whether it's the Golden Eagles or the Coyotes that get in first, the Golden Eagles always do a pretty good job chasing those coyotes off. In fact, we have this one photograph we call the, the Flying Coyote, and that Golden Eagle came in so quick, that coyote jumped so quick and so high in the air, it looked like it was flying. Biologists have been concerned about a declining population of Golden Eagles in the Southwest And of course, that's something Babbitt Ranches is paying significant attention to as well, especially in terms of drought cycles and warming trends. Our ultimate goal is to create and quantify an ecological lift, or in other words, a population increase for golden eagles across a large portion of the Southwest. So what are you finding from your studies and and your efforts on the landscape? Well, golden eagles are a a long-lived species. They could live upwards of 20 to 30 years. So over that period of time, they're exposed to different climactic regimes, including moisture availability, which drives the green up, the amount of vegetation on the landscape, which in turn supports golden eagle prey, like desert cottontails and black-tailed jackrabbits. So by studying the ecosystem from a ground base up, it's what we do to put all the pieces together. These long-lived birds, they don't breed in every given year. During times of drought or when the prey base isn't there, they may only lay eggs once every five years. There are golden eagles definitely across the ranches and across the southwest. One of the things that we've started to look at is whether their productivity might be lowering as a result of a drier and and hotter climate. It's a hard species to study. It takes years and years to do that. You cannot understand a golden eagle population within a year or two. So having the opportunity over 10 years here on Babbitt Ranches has been an amazing experience for a scientist to have such a long-term look at amazing species like the eagle. Although there's various climatic regimes and all, you're not just looking at weather data to see trends and so on and so forth. You're actually looking at prey base itself. For example, jackrabbits and cottontails. So how does that fit in? It fits right in there, Billy. Here in the Four Corners area of the desert southwest, the number one prey for golden eagles are black-tailed jackrabbits and, and desert cottontails. For the past Six years, we've been looking at those rabbit populations. For the past four years, we've been doing intensive surveys, these nighttime spotlight transect surveys that are conducted every year in the spring and fall. And we're putting together trends of rabbit populations, where they are, how they use the landscape. And based on that, are there management actions that we could do to target to increase golden eagle prey base out here? Of course, you're on the side, including prairie dogs in those surveys and studies as well. Absolutely. Gunnison's prairie dog used to be a lot more of them out there. They experience a disease such as plague uh, that makes populations come in and out. And the golden eagles over millennia have keyed in on these prairie dogs in combination with rabbits. And when there's no rabbits out there, they rely on prairie dogs. And when there's no prairie dogs, they tend to rely on, on the rabbits. We do have one golden eagle pair on the CO Bar Ranch that does very, very well in terms of productivity. Pair has bred successfully over the past six years. And what we think is driving that the success of, of that pair is there's a pretty good-sized prairie dog town nearby. It's very interesting to learn about how the prey base influences uh, potential success of breeding pairs. There's also something else you're studying that's not quite as cozy as looking at prairie dogs or rabbits, and that's uh, interesting bugs and nests. That's true, Billy. Over the years, as we climb down into nests to, to look at nestlings, put transmitters on nestlings, we've noticed that there's an ectoparasite in these nests called, uh, the common name is a chicken bug, and they have evolved to parasitize golden eagle nestlings. They receive blood meals 
and they're able to eke out a living in these very unique vertical landscapes, that being headwalls and cliffs and cliff ledges and canyons. And last year, we embarked on endeavor to to get down into these nests during the non-breeding season when, when eagles aren't breeding and start collecting samples in the dirt and the rock crevices and then the duff of these uh, nests to see if we could further describe and figure out these unique arthropod communities that, that inhabit these areas. You have clearly been a part of a very comprehensive and very thorough assessment and analysis and research uh, about golden eagles with, in and around Babbitt Ranches. Maybe just taking a step back for a moment, tell us a little bit about the golden eagle itself. I mean, how big are these birds? What is it that they eat and how high do they fly? How far do they fly? And how big are their home ranges and territories? These are indeed majestic birds. They're birds of prey. They're close to the top of the food chain. Large, large birds. They could have a wingspan that exceeds five feet. Females are larger than males. They have to guard that nest. The male has to be a little more agile and provide food for the female and its offspring. Like I said before, golden eagles in the Southwest, they tend to be resident here year-round. But through our studies here, we've found that eagles can fly very great distances. For example, we have one bird, Yukon Charlie, that we tagged on the CO Bar Ranch. She exhibited breeding behaviors, and we were certain that she was the, the breeding female out there. But lo and behold, <laughs> she decided to go north, and she likely breeds in the Yukon. How far away is that from Arizona? From her winter territory here on the CO Bar Ranch, uh, one-way distance to where she goes in the summertime is just about 2,300 miles one way. So that bird is covering easily over 5,000 miles every year for the past three years we've been tracking her, not even including the home range that she uses when she's in the Yukon and here. So she spends a lot of time on the wing. With regard to the tracking, describe that just a little bit. What do you mean when you say we're tracking birds? The technology over the years, Billy, has become just sky's the limit. We're able to capture birds and affix uh, GPS transmitters that we could download location data on these birds every 15 minutes. I think we're just over 10 birds we've tagged so far across Babbitt ranches, and we're able to track these birds over years. Different age birds, sub-adults, adults, the resident birds, as well as these floaters who need these open niches where the birds aren't breeding to eke out a living. Back to Yukon Charlie. I mean, what an extraordinary story. I think you've mentioned to me she crosses over that Canada border and you lose the tracking service, the ability to acquire that data on a daily basis for months at a time before she comes back south and crosses back into the United States and hooks into the cell tower system where all of a sudden she'll download thousands of data points from the prior several months that she's been so-called dark there, huh? That's completely true, Billy. It's just amazing. We utilize uh, cell phone towers that when the birds are in cell phone range, we're able to download those GPS data points. But like you said, when they get out of cell phone range, which is a good portion of the Western United States and through Canada, BC, up to the Yukon, the transmitters are able to still collect data, but we can't look at those data. So for that time period when she's traveling that 2,300 miles, we're not getting all those points. But as soon as she hits those cell phone towers, it takes a few days, but we eventually get those location data where she's at. Without this technology, we wouldn't know half as much about golden eagle movements and behaviors. Tom, we've talked about nesting and productivity studies, some home range movement and telemetry, prey-based studies, habitat conditions. Let's touch on the future of the projects, where you're taking this as we learn about golden eagles. Our interest in Babbitt Ranches right now is... We really would like to see if we could identify and target 
management actions? What could we do across the landscape to create ecological lift for golden eagles? I talked about the golden eagle prey base study, looking at those rabbits out there on an annual basis over long periods of time. We do some pretty fancy vegetation and habitat modeling using Landsat imagery, these great data sets that are available on these satellites that provide information in terms of the habitat is changing out there. And to correlate eagle prey, their productivity, as well as ever-changing landscape, it paints a larger picture, again, always tying back to management actions. What are we doing out there that is conducive to a healthy golden eagle population? What we can do better? And the only way to get at that with a species like golden eagle is to look at it for longer periods of time. And again, we were, we're very lucky to have that, that longevity here across the ranches. So for Babbitt Ranches, clearly this is part of their conservation ethic, their land use ethic, something that's very meaningful and important to them to learn and understand about golden eagles and their habitat and their needs and so on and so forth. There's also a potential broader opportunity in our efforts at Babbitt Ranches to learn about golden eagles. Can you just talk a little bit about the renewable industries and other industries that this benefits and how it goes into that direction as well? You know, being an avian ecologist, when we look at any bird species, any population, we have to look at the bigger picture. I mean, there's humans on the landscape. We're faced with some very challenging issues as related to climate change. There is a big push for green, renewable energy. Throughout the process of developing renewable energy, we've had the opportunity to really hone in on golden eagles and figure out that interaction, that wildlife interaction with development. And by teasing that apart, looking at that across greater landscapes, we're able to inform any type of development to the benefit of of humans as well as the species that are out there. Tom, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to golden eagles. I'm sure that you could speak volumes to various aspects of the golden eagle and needs opportunities to for us to minimize our impacts on golden eagles. You had a real great opportunity this last fall to harness all of these topics and present them. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, we were able to present our golden eagle supplemental feeding research that we're conducting across the ranches. I belong to an amazing group of ornithologists. They're part of the Raptor Research Foundation. We had the opportunity last year, they held their international meeting in South Africa, and we were invited to present our research to just a great group of raptor biologists. So it was an amazing opportunity. The response of that group as to our work out there as related to our supplemental feeding. There was some really good feedback. A lot of people were intrigued as to what we're doing out there. Tom, on behalf of Babbitt Ranches, I want to express to you how grateful we are for your efforts and your team, resources that you bring to this effort. We all certainly look forward to moving forward and continuing to learn and understand and be able to make some, ultimately, some decisions that can benefit the Golden Eagle and provide some ecological lift, as well as some preservation, eagle nest sites, also to what we can do to promote and maintain healthy populations of the jackrabbits and cottontails, along with some prairie dog work as well. It's a, a great pleasure to get to work with you. Again, on behalf of Bab Ranches, I just want you to know how grateful we are for all that SWCA does for us. So thank you very much, Tom, for being with us today on Discovery with Babbitt Ranches. Look forward to an update down the road. Oh, thank you too, Billy. And I look forward to at least another 10 years working on the ranches. Thank you for joining in Discovery with Babbitt Ranches. Through our efforts of learning, 
and understanding, Babbitt Ranches, a family business and pioneering land company, raises livestock, manages natural resources, promotes science, and participates in the broader community in order to join, share, and to do the very best we know how. Thank you. I'm Billy Kardaskin.